Well, have I got news for you. It's good stuff. Our gospel lesson comes from Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 14 through verse 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In Inc. magazine this week, there was an article which read, the one question that will make all the difference in your relationships. Well, that sounds interesting, and so by golly, I bit that one. And the article basically says that when someone you love, a coworker, a child, someone you know, is struggling, hurting, that one of the best things we can do is ask this question. This one question, what can I do to help? Now, saying it just that way is important. They say, it's not the same as saying, well, if I can help you, give me a call. Let me know what I can do. By saying, let me, give me a call, we complicate it for folks. In other words, we, we basically set them up to have to figure out what it is they can do if they're willing to do it. And then you make them call you, which is the hardest part of all. So it's the immediacy of that question that unlocks the situation. It creates a connection And by asking it that way, what can I do to help? It says, I care. I am right here, right now. What do you need? And it is immediate and at the very least, it says, you're not alone. What a gift to ask that question in that way. 
And believe it or not, it's pretty much the same thing Jesus says to us this morning. Mark opens his gospel by having Jesus remind us that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. That really thin place where God is close enough that we can reach out and touch him. That, that spot where the immediacy of God's presence is so close that we don't have to go shopping. It's not like kingdom is coming soon at the theater near you. It's right here with us right now in our faces should we choose to recognize it as so. Jesus doesn't say, the kingdom of God is coming soon. He says, it's here now. Repent now. Believe in the good news now. There's an urgency about it. An urgency on God's part to be present to us in meaningful and new ways. I love that song that we sing at Christmas time, Mary, did you know? There's that line in it that says, Mary, did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? Most of us don't live like God's that close, that immediately present to us, that God who is close enough to invite us to say, what do you need? How can I help you right now? Now, urgency is a part of our world, my friends. I don't know if you paid attention to the news this week, but it sent me spinning. Somebody in Baltimore left Duke, an American bulldog, did you see it? Tied to a tree, 20 degrees. They don't know how long he was tied to the tree. But he's there with his food bowl, some food, his favorite toy, and his crate. And a note that says, my name is Duke. I need a new home. Why would you do that? What would be so hurtful or painful or a struggle in your life that you'd set something out in the cold like that at the risk of its death? And then there was the article or the news around the 13 kids that have been gotten out of their captivity in California. The 29-year-old weighs 82 pounds. And the 12-year-old is the average size of a 7-year-old. They haven't been to a doctor in four years and never to a dentist. Their cognitive development is impaired as well as neurological damage due to the abuse. Lord, help immediately. And then we've got the instance of our government shutting down. What would help our Congress be unstuck for the welfare of all of us within this country. 
Do you know that on the news last night, the UK has just instituted a new division of their government. It's called the Ministry of Loneliness. Pinky swear. They report that nine million people report that they often or always feel lonely. Nine million. 200,000 of them reported that they hadn't spoken to a friend, a family member, or another adult in over a month. Half of 75-year-olds live alone. Loneliness is so detrimental to our health, they say it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. They've created a ministry to deal with it. Immediately, Lord, don't we need the kingdom close enough at hand to touch it and for the thin place to open up so we see God? The scriptures do that for us this morning in three very simple ways. The first one is to change our identity. When Jesus comes along to the Sea of Galilee, he looks at, at Peter and James and John, the brothers, and he, he says, come with me immediately, and I'm going to make you fish for people. Now, that may sound like the same task as fishing for fish, just fishing for people, but it's not the same. Jesus, in turn, is changing their identity, who they think themselves to now be. Who they are is no longer a task. It's an identity. Who am I now? They've left behind what was their past, and now the future is before them. And remember, Jesus doesn't say one Thing, not one thing about a pension plan. He doesn't offer a job description. He doesn't offer benefits or anything would give them an idea of what their future is going to hold, only that their newness is going to change them and the world. And what do they do? They drop everything and go. This sense of change is important to us because we don't really look at ourselves as being of that kind of value, of God calling us and making that connection with us. Have you heard the name Brene Brown? She's done a whole bunch of study around shame. In fact, she wrote a book entitled The Gift of Imperfection. And in it, she has a definition of shame that I want to share with you. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. In other words, she's saying that this sense of shame says in our hearts and in our heads, if people really knew us, oh, they wouldn't want to know us. 
Shame is one of those things that's real in everybody's life. It isn't related to someone's trauma. All of us feel shame. It's a part of being human. And we have it raced around our appearance, around our body image, around our work, our family, our parenting, you name it. And we can feel shame about it. The challenge is that Jesus offers us this morning is to recognize that thin place, our identity has changed and that stuff doesn't have to hold us anymore. It doesn't belong to you anymore because now we are fishers of people. People with a mission to bring about the kingdom of God and translate that thin place, saying to each other and to the world, what can I do to help? Then he says, repent. Now, I just got through telling you that, uh, that shame is common in us and repentance is not about feeling guilty it is not about being shame-filled or trying to, re- to uh, say that things didn't happen in our lives. Repentance, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is, however, the realization that when God shows up and calls us, our behavior probably doesn't match our new job description. Right? It's a realization that repentance simply means a turning around and making things new. John Wesley and his brother Charles, more than 200 years ago, used to meet weekly with a group of fellows and they did this examination of themselves because they wanted to be immediately present to God. They had 22 questions. I will not share all 22, but you need to know what they are, at least in, in, in intent arm long enough am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am in other words am I a hypocrite do I confidentially pass on to another what was told to me in confidence can I be trusted Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Did the Bible live in me today? When did I last speak to someone else about my faith? Do I pray about the money I'm spending? Do I disobey God in anything? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment toward, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? 
Do I grumble or complain constantly? Last but not least, is Christ real in me? John Wesley believed that that kind of examination, he asked himself those things every day and journaled his response because that thin place of being next to God was so important to him. His new identity was important to him. His repentance and living as if Christ was in him immediately present and witnessing to another was the most valuable gift he could give to himself and to others. That's what repentance does. It turns us around and sets us right daily. And then he says, believe in the good news. It would be better if we translate it, trust in the good news. Trust that what God says is going to be present in our lives in a meaningful way. That our new identity has power and meaning. That our turning around has changed who we are. And that believing in the good news, you and I are making that thin place thin for others. So they can see God. Wonderful article this week and about uh, folks in Halifax, Nova Scotia. You think it's been cold here. Okay? Well, a 27-year-old mother has a daughter turned eight. She was a baby when she had that child. But she wants her child to understand homelessness and people living out in the cold. And so over the summer, she spent time collecting coats and mittens and hats and scarves and, and those kinds of things. And so on her child's eighth birthday, the birthday party group of girls got in a couple of vans and they took those coats all over Halifax and they dressed telephone poles with them. The telephone pole was wearing a coat with a scarf and a hat and mittens. And on it was a tag that says, I'm not lost. If you need me to stay warm, please take me. It was a great lesson for the girls after an hour of dressing telephone poles. They were just about little popsicles and they were begging to get back in the van and to turn on the heat. And what a valuable lesson to say that that thin place of making our lives ready for God to be seen was real to them. They understand a bit more of what homelessness is like. What was even more fascinating is that there were folks who came up to them and said, you know, I bet there are people taking those coats who just want them and maybe they don't need them. To which this wonderful mother had the perfect answer. I trust in humanity that whoever needs that coat, whatever their reason, I hope they took it. You see, the criteria is not on the person who took the coat. It isn't up to them to justify why they took it. 
The onus is on us who understand how close God is in this world and that our new identity puts us out there. No criteria on what others think or need or do with it, but that we are living in a way that's transformative, saying with our very lives, what can I do to help? I really do think Jesus' invitation to the new disciples to believe that the kingdom of God is near, to repent and believe in the gospel is just as close a thing to being said as what do you need? What can I do to help? Because I care. I'm here. I'm close right now. Saying yes to Jesus can happen in an instant. But learning to follow takes a whole lifetime. We can be up doing well and down having to regroup and turn back around and start again. That's okay. Because the promise of Jesus is that he's here right now. Yesterday's done. Done. We can make a new commitment today to follow. And he'd be just as delighted as if it was the first time. Know God's love of you is real, present, and very present in this meal. Because on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he made the connection that this is his body, that it represents that it's going to be broken for all of them, and that when we eat it, we can remember the immediacy of God's love. And likewise, after supper, when he takes the cup, he's going to bless it and say to them, this is my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So when you drink it, remember it's a new day. You're forgiven and made new. Let's pray. Lord, as we receive these gifts of bread and wine, help us to know the immediacy of your presence with us, the nearness. Make us new. Make us whole. Help us to accept the help you offer right now. In the name of our Christ, amen.